Good morning. I'm strong today. Whew. I never know when I'm supposed to start talking because they're, they're pointing at me and I don't know what these, all these signals mean. But anyway, if you're visiting with us today here at Grace, uh, we're really glad you're here to be a part of our service and um, hope that the Lord will work in your heart and your life uh, this morning. If you were around this last week, we had a lot of things going on, and um, we had a yard sale here to, to raise some money for missions, and I think Andrea next week is going to give you a report about that, and so it's exciting. They did real well, and I know the mission trips are coming together, and the Lord is, is providing the people, and he's providing the funds, and we're really, really, really thankful uh, for that. I'm just going to share with you what the Lord put on my heart um, yesterday. Um, you know, when you when you come up and you say good morning and welcome and all that, it's some people look at that as just like a formality, and in in some respects, let's be honest, it is. But um, the Lord put on my heart just to tell you that uh, I appreciate you, I love you, and uh, you mean a lot in my life. Um, Paul kind of echoed those things he said in 1 Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for all of you. So that means every single one of you. Can't leave anybody out. Making mention of you in our prayers. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of of our God and Father. So I don't know when the last time someone's told you they love you and appreciate you, but I genuinely do. And I don't know all of you the same. Um, some of you I've known for 27 or 8 years. Some in the case of, of Malcolm Cooper, I've known him a long time. My mom prayed for me, a roommate, when I went to Southeastern Bible College, and look what I got. <laughs> But um, I just wanted to say I thank the Lord for you and for your ministry. And I pray the Lord will give you your ministry here if you don't have one, that, that he'll give that to you. Because as we know from the word of God, every single member of the body is valuable, right? So young people, that means you too. If you're in Christ, you have a place. And God wants you to serve him in that place. And I know Miss Andrea really appreciated all that you guys did this last week in helping her. So you have your place, ask the Lord to help you find that place, all right? Well, I want to have a word of prayer, and, and then we'll begin uh, worshiping the Lord in song. And so um, let's stand and do that, all right?
Father, thank you so much that we have the privilege to call you our Father if we know you. Um, thank you for who made that possible, and that's your Son, the Lord Jesus. As we come this morning, I want to pray, Father, that our hearts are prepared to worship you, that, that this is, um, as we think about last week coming into today, that this is not the first time in a week that we've addressed you, not the first time in a week that we've opened your word or, or prayed to you, but that, Lord, it's it's just been a, today is just kind of a, an explosion of all that has gone on this week and so we're ready to worship you and we want to do it as your word says in spirit and in truth we don't want the worship to be about us we want the worship to be about father your son jesus and so i pray that that's what today will be and that um, as we leave this place we'll all be encouraged to see our lord and savior um, for who he is and what he's done for us. And Lord, help us not to take each other for granted, but help us to be grateful. Grateful for the relationships that we can enjoy because of the common bond that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we just ask that this morning would honor the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen. Let's honor him this morning by let's singing about his wonderful, amazing grace. Let's sing this. Grace, grace,
precious name. Magnify the precious name of Jesus. And he is the Lord. He's the Lord of our salvation.
Lord, for being our salvation. Such grace that you have shown in mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is not uh, <clears throat> planned, but uh, Th- Thad did something several weeks ago, and <clears throat> he can, if he can do it, I can too. Let's sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved That verse one more time. Let's sing. every one of us this morning, every one of us that's here that's turned to the Lord and has trusted him for our salvation because he is the Lord of our salvation. What grace, what mercy, what love he shows us time and time again, over and over again, through good times, through bad times. His grace still amazes us. It's amazing grace. Your grace still amazes me. Listen to the choir as they sing. Thank you. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, your grace does amaze us. It amazes us each and every day. And Lord, your word tells us that uh, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth come through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for it each and every day because it's in him that we have redemption. It's in him that we have forgiveness of our sins. It's in him that we have hope for the future, being with you. And Lord, if that wasn't enough, it goes beyond that. We see your grace all around us, everywhere we look. We see it in our lives, Lord. We see it as you answer our prayers. Or we see it as you continue to conform us to the image of your son, even when we fail you over and over. You never give up. Lord, we just thank you for your grace that walks through 
those hard times of life for us. Lord, we just want to praise you now, give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, John. As you know, when you're in elementary school, one of the things you get to do is have show and tell, and I thought I would just kind of show you some things since this last week, like I said, we had this yard sale and um, raising money for our mission trips, and there was two items that were left out, and I thought that maybe um, once you see them, that you might want to make a large donation toward our missions, and um, you can just come up and uh, afterwards and make the check out to Grace, and that'd be great, and um, I'm sure it'll probably be more than a thousand that we'd receive from you, but I wanted to show you the items just in case you you wanted a preview. This is a one of the items here. It's um, It goes on a golf club, on a driver specifically, but it can be a sock. It can serve as a mitten. There's all, it can be a puppet. There's all kinds of things you could use with that. That's one choice, and then I would have to say maybe the better choice in the bag would be this hat that you could wear for wintertime, and it's got even a little hog on there just to remind you of the grace of God, including the Gentiles, okay? So it would be good for you to, to purchase these items afterwards to help with the missions projects if you'd like to, all right? All right. Well... Have you ever received a picture from your daughter or granddaughter or grandsons that they've worked on when they're, you know, small and they've showed you the picture and, and you, you said to them, well, that's the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. Have you ever been guilty of that? You've done that? Did you tell them later in life that wasn't the truth? <laughs> but it was for you at the time because you love your child. This last um, Friday, I was coming back from softball misery, and I, I coach a softball team with uh, Gina Roberts. God bless us and those girls. Um, but I was coming back from the Auburn Opelika area, you know, that loveliest village on the plains. I've been. I tried this weekend to work out something with Alabama, but there's just nothing there. So, but I was passing close to the loveliest little village on the plains, and it would be hard for me to describe to you the sky that I saw. It was just amazing. Um, I I was driving and I'd look at it and I'm like, man, Lord, you're just amazing. You paint the most amazing pictures. And, and then I got to driving, and I'm listening to the radio, and then I'm like, turn off the radio. I'm like, man, Lord, this, this guy's just unbelievable. That's because you're an unbelievable God. You're past finding out your word, the words to describe you. How do we do that? It's amazing how the Lord works because there's a picture here in 1 John that's a beautiful picture. It's one that, quite honestly, I'd never seen before. Um, because it involves the Trinity. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we were singing this morning, as Ron was singing that song, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was standing there, and George came up to me and said, Dad, it's fitting right in with what you're going to talk about today. And I, I said, I know it's amazing. Because I like to check with people I respect and, and teachers and things. And, and, and I invited George into my office on, I think it was Wednesday. I said, hey, George, I need you to read this. Tell me what you see. Because I was seeing the Trinity at work in this thing called love. And I'm like, yeah, but that, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I need some help with that, some verification, right? I'm just one guy. And so I asked George, I said, hey, what do you see? He said, that, I see the Trinity. I'm like, hey, hey. I was, I was just rejoicing. I'm like, that's right. That's what we see. We see the Trinity here, and specifically as it relates to the issue of love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It just amazed me. And I'm like, Lord, you're just putting this together. And then the choir sang, or we were singing that song this morning. And I'm like, this is exactly, Lord, what you want for today. Thank you for orchestrating this. I want us to read this section, and then I'll want to go through it. I gave you a handout, and I had somebody earlier mention to me, that that sure is a lot for this time and I'm like yeah it's not as much as you think it'll be it'll be fine there's a lot to chew on a lot to think about but I want to read the passage and then I want to um, go through it and just talk about some of the different things that the text points out about the father and the spirit and the son and that's the order in which it appears in our text although the son is obviously alluded to throughout Notice what John says to his audience. Verse 11, beloved, those who are loved. If God so loved us, and he did, we also ought to love one another. There should be that angst in our life that I need to love others. He says, no one has seen God at any time. And when you look at that particular statement, you're like, how in the world does that fit into all that we have been reading? Why would John make that statement? Before we continue our reading, I wanted to kind of help us understand that a little bit. Uh, I won't comment on it completely but just something to think through um, as we consider that statement. It is not advancing. Why is it not advancing? There's a statement that John Walford makes about this statement of John's that I think is a great summation of what appears to be a contradictory statement. Because we know as we read the Old Testament that the Bible talks about uh, Moses and Elijah and Isaiah seeing the Lord and you're like, hey, hold on a second. Jesus himself said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What in the world is John saying? What's he doing? So I think Mr. Walbert helps us to understand what... John is 
saying. He says, whether you're talking about Moses seeing God's back or Elijah with his face covered speaking with the Lord, absolutely no one. And in the Greek language in this text, it's very, very strong. Absolutely no one has seen God in his divine nature and essence. Or some have even his deity, his full deity. And while the disciples saw the Lord Jesus, his glory was veiled, as we know. And so that helps us to understand a little bit better um, the statement that John makes. But I want us to understand completely what he was saying. And so we'll talk about that as it relates to the text in just a few moments, okay? Um, Now, notice what he says. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Notice that's a little bit differing phrase there, of his spirit. In fact, it only occurs twice in the New Testament. Some want to make that about possession, and it is some about that, but not all about that. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. All right, so I've given you on your handout there um, just an outline that you can follow what we want to do is just talk about some items that maybe we need to chew on a little bit. You can chew on them a little bit here, and then this afternoon you can do the same. But we see here in the Godhead, first of all, the Father is the example of love. He's the example of love. And the Bible indicates that to us in 1 John and in other places. Notice what it says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, He loved us. I like 419, he first loved us. You say, Thad, but we were dirty. That's right. And he first loved us. That's what's so special about the term agape, or one of the very special things about agape. It's an unconditional love. God wasn't waiting for us to arrive at a position where he could accept us. We were dirty. The Bible tells us in Romans, we were Uh, dead right we were dead Paul in Romans chapter 5 says God demonstrated his love toward us and while we were yet what sinners Christ died for us Paul says it in Ephesians as well that we were dead we were ugly but the Bible tells us here in 1st John chapter 4 that God loved us notice it says beloved If God so loved us, the assumption is that he did. He did love us. In chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In this is love, not that we loved God. We don't come out loving God. That's that's not correct theology. Okay? We don't come out loving God. In fact, we come out as enemies of God. We're dead in our trespasses and our sins. So it's amazing when you think about this concept that God is love. He is our example of love. That's what uh, John says here in 1 John uh, chapter 4. Well, there's some things that we need to chew on as it relates to this particular, these two particular verses. The first is this. 
that we have an incentive to love. There is an incentive to love. He loved us. That's the incentive. He loved us. And here's something that I thought about this week. He loved us past tense, and he continues to love us present tense. Okay? His love doesn't change. It's the same. We're used to love changing, aren't we? We're used to love being conditional. But as it relates to God, that's not who God is. God's love is not conditional. He's not waiting on us to get better. He loves us. It's the same thing that we're told in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world. He loved. I don't know that we could stress that enough. So the incentive for the believer here is to love. We've been commanded to love several times in this passage. John talks about the fact that we should, as he says in verse 11, love one another. We ought to. The idea is we should love one another. And that love is for every single believer. Every single believer. Not one left out. Now, how many of you in this room have had a difficult time loving some believers? Well, sure, everybody in this room has at times. Do you know what happens when we're having a difficult time loving others? We're thinking of ourselves. That's what's happening. We're thinking of ourselves and the inconvenience and the difficulty and the stress and the emotion. Oh, this is going to be just too hard to do it. I've got some good news later on for you in the text. You're not the one doing it anyway. If you love, it's not you anyway. It's the Lord working through you to love. I've had many people over the years that have been difficult to love. Because remember what agape love is. Agape love is not a verbal, oh, I love you. It's an action. It's expressed toward other people. It's love in action. And I think that at times we're probably all really good with that. But then at times we suffer, right? Because maybe we're thinking too much of ourselves. So we have an incentive to love, and that is because God loved us. Now we come to this second statement. When we love one another, God is on display. Did you know that God was on display to the world when he sent his son? Did you know that? That God was on display to the world when he sent his son. So although no one has seen God in his full essence... God sent his son, and the disciples saw the son. We beheld him. We saw him. They saw love, right? We think of people say, well, Jesus loved. He is love. He was on display, okay? And so you have here the author saying in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. Well, that's true. In his full essence, in his full deity, that has not happened. But God did, right, as the text says, love us. And so he sent his son 
as a display of who he is, that he is love. So that when the disciples saw Jesus, they saw love. And not only did they see love, but that love was what? Demonstrated to them. You remember in the upper room, even when Judas was there, what does the Bible tell us? That Jesus washed the disciples' feet, including Judas. He did that. His love was on display. He was showing the Father to his disciples. Do you understand that? He was showing them the Father. And so it makes better sense when you think of the statement, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, but we know this as well, that the Lord Jesus ascended. Did he not? He did. So the question is, how is he on display now? How's he on display? How in the world is God and his love on display today? How do people see God today? You know, there's a phrase that's thrown around a lot. And I don't know that we think about it. Maybe for really what's there. You may be the only Jesus people see. And sometimes we make kind of light of that statement. But here's the reality of it. John says this, that God loved us. Jesus came and he loved. But he returned to the Father. Now how are people going to see love? How are people going to see the Lord? Us. Us. You say, wow, Thad, that's an incredible thought. It is an incredible thought. <laughs> it just puts so much importance on this issue of loving one another. I like what um, John Stott says about this. He says, mutual Christian love is the evidence that the unseen God who was revealed in his Son, now get a hold of these words, is now revealed in his people when they love one another. I wonder how many times John thought about the statement that was made by the Lord Jesus in the upper room. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, that's, that's just, how do you even put a weight to that statement? And so when John's pinning these words, I can't help but think he has to be thinking about that encounter in the upper room when he's with the Lord Jesus and he says, hey, the Lord Jesus says, hey, let me put it on the line for you guys. Let me just tell you, right? God loved, he sent me, I am love and I love. And then we know the Bible tells us he returned to the Father. So think about how much weight there must have been as the disciples thought through, oh my goodness. God loved and he demonstrated his love and he sent his son and we saw love and we saw love in action. And now it's us. It's us. We are to show to others the Lord. Did you know that? That's what we're to do. And we can as we love one another. So when we love one another, 
God is on display. Right? Not us. Now, this is very critical to hear. We're not on display. When we are loving others, yes, there's abiding and there's obedience on our part, and that's our role. But what's coming out is not us. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And he even affirms that as he talks about here the second person of the Trinity in verse 13. Okay? So we move from the example of love. Um, Well, one more point before we get to that. I'm sorry. Point three there. When we are in fellowship with God, his love is fully developed in us. Notice what it says, verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us. That's a fellowship term. And his love is perfected in us. I have the word there, fully developed, or the phrase fully developed. That's the better phrase. It's fully developed. When we're in fellowship with God, his love is fully developed in us so that people see who? The Lord. They see him. It is accurate when one might say, I cannot love that person. That's accurate. If one believer says to another, I just can't love this other believer like I need to, that's okay to say. In fact, it's good to admit. But do you know that it is possible that you and I can love those people that are hard to love as we abide in the Lord and we watch his love flow through us? Did you know that? Even those people that we have a hard time getting along with. And so, when we're in fellowship with God, His love is fully developed in us. And then the application here is this. When we love one another, it gives evidence that we are in fellowship with God. Now, remember, there's two different viewpoints as you work your way through this book. Some see the love as evidence of relationship. But I think in context, it's pretty clear that John is talking about the issue of fellowship. Because, hey, there's times when we aren't loving one another as we should. Okay, now we come to the second uh, point as it relates to the Trinity, and it deals with the Spirit. Look at verse 13. Look what he says. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. This is a very interesting verse. I've labeled this the Spirit being the gift of love. The gift of love. Notice what it uh, says in Romans 5 and Ephesians 1. In talking about the Spirit, He was given to us. Notice Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Who is given, He's talking about the Spirit, as a pledge of our inheritance. I need you to understand how important the Spirit of God is in your life and mine. And the only thing that I could come up with was bread and water. Bread and water are essential to life, right? You need bread, you need water. How many of you drink water? How many of you drink it regularly? That's just a few. Because we like our Cokes and the other products. You know, I don't say that from the pulpit too much, but... There's, a, there's another group out there. And so when we think, we see people drink, there are a lot of times they're drinking sweet tea, especially in the South, 
you know, they're drinking Cokes and they're drinking other products. And we don't necessarily see people drinking water, but water is essential to what? Life. Bread or eating is essential to life. All of us eat different types of foods. You know, some people like pasta. I like pasta. Some people like rice better than pasta. I like rice better than pasta. But I like pasta, and especially at Olive Garden, they got some good pasta. And if you want to make some good pasta, just get you some of that Olive Garden dressing and pour it in the bucket, and man, it tastes good. So you have, right, different foods that we think about when we think about bread. Because bread is essential to life as well. Guys, listen to me. So when we think about the physical components of bread and water, we think essential to life. When you and I think about the Christian life, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in the Christian life. Absolutely. Now, do you know what happened at salvation? The Holy Spirit of God indwelt you at salvation. And do you know that he's always in you? He does not leave you. He is always present in you. The Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that he indwells us. Romans chapter 8 says he indwells the believer. Um, We're not doing the Christian life well without understanding that we have the Spirit of God in our lives. We're not doing the Christian life well. And unfortunately, as I've mentioned even from the pulpit before, I think in some churches, the Holy Spirit's kind of put in a corner. Shame on us if that's the case. Because we sang about it today. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's absolutely essential. Think about it for the disciples what that meant when Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving you now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be... Right, I've been with you, but I'm going to be in you. He promised his presence forever in them. And then we know from Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit of God began to indwell believers at Pentecost. I wonder how many times the disciples thought about, wow, oh my goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your Spirit. You know, we see evidence of that in their lives. I put this in my notes. We see evidence of that in their lives. Just read about what happened to each one of those disciples historically and tell me the Spirit of God was not guiding their steps. He was guiding their steps. They went to the very end. They finished well. They were martyred for Christ. And they, listen, they were willing to be martyred because they knew they were never alone. He was always with them. Well, there's some things to chew on, three of them specifically. Notice from verse 13, we should know that the mutual abiding is linked to our sanctification. Right? Abiding in the Lord is linked to our sanctification. We are told in John 15 that we should abide. Here in 1 John, we're told that we should abide. It's linked to our sanctification and specifically to our obedience. We are to abide in the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us to do. 
Okay? So this mutual abiding has to do with our sanctification. The second thing that we see from verse 13 is we must know that has given speaks of permanence of the Father's gift. You see that little phrase there, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us. Who is us? Well, it's at least John and it's at least the apostles and it's at least his audience the Christians, the believers, all right? He has given us, he says, of his spirit. So it's a permanence. He permanently resides in the believer. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that we have been sealed by the spirit of God until the day of redemption. And what's so interesting about that, when you come to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, he says it again in the context of when we grieve the spirit, You can understand it when it comes to chapter 1 because he says, hey, look, here is the the salvation as we see it through the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But when you come to chapter 4, it's right in the middle of the context of living the Christian life. And he's talking about things that displease the Lord. And he says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now listen to this, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's a permanent marker on you. And by the way, when you're saved, you don't give yourself that marker. That marker does not come from you. How many people in the Christian life do you know, and maybe even some of us here this morning, struggled with the thought of losing our salvation? Guys, listen. It wasn't yours to give. It's not yours to keep. The Lord does that. I remember when I was saved. I was saved at a young age at seven. Thirteen, I was sitting in front of this youth pastor, and he's talking about giving your life to the Lord. And I thought, well, I already trusted Christ as my Savior. And then he comes over the front. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living the Christian life, saying, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do. Well, then I got to Southeastern. I'm being taught by these great professors. And, and, and they're affirming the things I needed to hear about my life as a Christian. And, and I remember sitting on my bed in the apartment. Teresa and I had just gotten married. We've been married maybe a year or so. And I'm sitting in there and I'm just struggling with, am I saved? You're like, that? why are you struggling with that? I'm human. And I was thinking more about me holding on to it. So I wrote a guy that witnessed to me. His name is Phil Newsom. And Phil is 10 years older than I am, and he witnessed to me when I was a little boy. And I wrote him a letter. I said, Phil, I just, I just want to know. I, I, for, I mean, I forgot. I mean, seven years old, that's a long time ago, right? Even when you're 20-something, you're trying to think about it. And so I wanted the details, and he writes me this four- or five-page letter, and he says, Dad, this is what happened. So I felt better, but then as I got older in the Lord, it's not about that letter. It's not. It's not about Phil. Thank you, Phil, for your obedience and sharing with me, but it's not about you either. It is about the Lord and his spirit who sealed me when I said, yes, I believe. And so when we think through this text, part of what he is saying here is that 
there is a permanence for the believer. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Well, what in the world is he talking about? Well, in context, he's talking about love. And so the third thing that we need to know is that we should know that when a believer is abiding, love for other believers comes from God's spirit. Okay, it's, now this is very important to hear. It's not that we're mustering this up. So we're doing the abiding and then we go, oh, I'm going to muster this. No, no, no. It's this picture. We're resting in him and his spirit. As we're resting in him, then his spirit is loving through us. It's the same principle that Paul talks about in uh, Galatians chapter 5 when he says, walk by the spirit. And when you walk by the spirit, what happens? The fruit of the spirit is on display. Okay, And so that's what he's talking about here. We should know that when a believer is abiding, love for other believers comes from the Spirit. It's not us. You say, well, then what's our responsibility in all this? If we're not doing any of it, oh, no. We have a responsibility. It's to abide. As we abide in the Lord, then the love is going to flow. And people are going to see the Lord's love in us, flowing through us as the Spirit of God is doing that in our lives. And so when you come to passages like Galatians chapter 5, and this is important to hear, because I think sometimes when people come to Galatians 5, there's some kind of, there's some misunderstanding. Because it's not that we're producing the love, or that we're producing the joy, or we're producing the patience. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not doing that. The Bible says... In verse 16 of chapter 5, Paul says to these believers, walk by the Spirit. So when we are walking by the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit is on display. Okay, that's very, very important to hear. All right? So, application. This is important here. Application as it relates to the Spirit. Remember, we always have the Spirit indwelling us. Don't ever forget that. Write passages down like 1 Corinthians 3, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Write those things down. Remember, we always have the Spirit. So as we walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is on display and witnessed. Now listen to me. I didn't underline display. We already talked about that some. But I underscored witnessed. Who is it witnessed by? When we're walking by the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is on display, who's witnessing that? Huh? Other believers. Other believers are witnessing that. So it's very, very important that we understand, and and the opposite is true too. When we're not walking by the Spirit, believers see, don't they? They see that. And so how imperative was it that Paul would write those words? That if we walk by the Spirit, as we walk by the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit then is on display uh, in our lives. And so we have in this 1 John passage a picture of the Father and the Spirit. And then we come, thirdly, to the Son. And for this I put, the Son was sent in love. The Son was sent in love. Look at verse 14. Notice what John says. 
we have seen, excuse me, and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. When did you first hear that? When was that for you? When did you first hear that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world? When did you first hear about Jesus Christ? Had something happen to me recently that was just amazing. Um, this young man shows up at the church and he needs some help. And so um, he's 29 years old. And we'll just say he lives in this area. And um, he comes in the building. I'm told about him. I walk outside and I said, how can I help you? And he said, well, I need to get some plug for my tire because my tire is flat. I said, okay, I know nothing. If you know me, I know nothing about fixing anything. So I wasn't going to be able to fix it for him. He said, can you just take me to the dollar store or tree or whatever that thing's called? The only thing I go in there for is candy. They got good candy. So um, I'm thinking, well, not dollar tree. I said, listen, there's an auto parts store right down the street. Let's just go there. I said, I'll just take you and we'll get what you need. So we went in, got what he needed. On the way down, I'm kind of just talking with him, introducing myself. He's introducing himself. and So I get finished in the store with him, and we come back out to the car, and I get in, and it's like the Lord saying, Hey, Thad, when are you going to talk to him about me? I said, In just a second. I mean, I wasn't being ugly. I was just a minute. So I'm driving down the road, and I'm like, I said, uh, what what have you done with the Lord Jesus in your life? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, what are your thoughts about, if somebody mentions Jesus Christ to you, what are your thoughts about Jesus Christ? And he said, I've never really thought about it because I've never really heard about what you're talking about. We don't have to go to Japan. We can just go across the street. It's hard to believe that this area was called the Bible Belt. Was. It's not anymore. Oh yeah, there are, there are Christians around. There are a lot of people. And it's amazing to me who have never heard the name Jesus Christ. Much less, hey, when you think of Jesus Christ, what do you think of? He thought of nothing. So I introduced him to Christ. So this is who he is. You know how refreshing it is to introduce Christ to somebody who's never heard? Like never? Not the ones who already have their presuppositions and all these answers in their minds. So I ask you the question, when was the first time you heard about the Lord Jesus? Because John here says in verse 14... We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I want to point out some things here that I think you'll really appreciate about what is said here by John. 
Did you know they have different things like when you're doing your PowerPoint, you can kind of bring them in different ways? That one's called the wheel, just in case you're wanting to know. I thought it was pretty cool. That's the only reason I used it. I thought it was pretty cool. But we know the disciples saw the sun. You say, well, how do we know that? Remember, John goes to great pains in the beginning of this book, and he says this, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning who? The word of life, Jesus. The life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. So the disciples saw the Lord Jesus. They saw him. And that that word there, seen in the Greek language, describes a close and careful observation. That's the idea. It wasn't just a passing glance, but they saw him. And think about this. They saw him over and over and over again, day by day by day by day by day. They saw him. What must that have been like to walk with the Lord and see him every day on a daily basis and go from him, uh, go from him walking on water to calming the sea to feeding thousands of people with just a few fish, a few fish and a few pieces of bread, feeding thousands of people, healing the lame, making the blind to see. So when, when John says, hey, we saw, they saw a lot. It's not like, hey, we just saw. No, they saw the son himself, but they saw the Lord. They saw him in all his humanity, right? They saw him because he was hungry, right? He slept, but he was also God. God made flesh. And the Bible tells us that, that he walked on water. And he healed the blind and the lame and the deaf. And I'm thinking, when John made that statement, we have seen it's all-encompassing. They saw the sun. Well, the next thing that he says here concerning the sun, he says, we know the disciples, or I put this, we know the disciples' life was giving testimony concerning the sun. It's one thing that they saw the sun. But it's another thing to testify concerning the sun. Those are separate. They're not one and the same. They saw the sun, but they gave testimony and continued to give testimony of the sun. How do we know that? Because if you go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, you know what you find? You find Peter looking at the crowds and saying, hey, look at us disciples, how great we are. Is that what he's doing? No. He is preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and buried and raised. It was all about the Lord Jesus. In fact, did you know that these disciples whom Jesus loved continued to give testimony until they were martyred? They continued to do that. They continued to say, it is Jesus. Guys, this is going to sound real simple, but I think it's probably something we need to think through at least. For years and years and years, I've heard in Christian communities, Jesus 
this, and Jesus that, and Jesus this, and Jesus that. I hear a lot more in Christian community. He did this, and she did this, and he did this, and she did this. And I'm like, no. God does that. He does it. You like listening to Tony Evans? I love listening to Tony Evans. That dude can preach. Kind of scares me, but he can preach. Listen to me. I don't go, wow, Tony Evans is such a great guy. I'm giving testimony about him. No, it's about what the Lord is doing through that man. Listen to me. These disciples were not to be put on pedestals for men to worship. In fact, they were very careful. If you read through John chapter 4, they're very careful to go, hey, hey, it's not us. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Don't get tired of giving the answer, it's Jesus. I think in some Christian cultures today, maybe people are growing tired of hearing that. Well, third thing, final thing. We know Jesus was sent, and this is how it reads in the original. I love this language. We know Jesus was sent to be the son savior of the world. The son savior of the world. Kenneth Wiest writes about what this implication would have meant in the first century. Because when you think about this letter that was written, it was written in the first century. It was written when there was a lot of persecution going on in the church. I mean, the church is, what, 60 years old, something like that. Not very old. There's a lot of persecution going on in the church. And in the Roman world, Weist reminds us that emperor worship was the state religion of the Roman Empire. It wasn't Jesus Christ. (laughs) To recognize the Lord as the Savior of the world instead of the emperor was a capital offense. For such recognition was a blow at the very vitals of the empire, Weist writes. That was the quarrel which Rome had against Christianity and that was the reason for the bloody persecutions. And if you read anything about the Roman emperor Domitian, he was a ruthless man who persecuted believers, who killed believers, who exiled John to the island of Patmos, put him in a cauldron of oil with the name Jesus comes persecution and the disciples were willing to suffer through that so look what John says here verse 14 we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world there is no other savior young people I know what goes through your hearts and minds as young people because I was there at one point in time in my life you know there's lots going on in your world And you're thinking about, hey, what's true and what's not true, right? What's real, what's not real? Well, let me tell you what should be real, young people. It should be that when you see your mom and dad who testify that they are believers in Christ, you should see the Lord in them. It's true. You should. But we're human, aren't we? And at the end of the day, we sin... 
And sometimes, as parents and grandparents, we can be really ugly. But you know, young people, I got to tell you something. You know, the one who's always the same? That's the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't know, young people, if you know the Lord, I don't know that. I don't know every single one of you has that testimony. But if you're an older adult today, one of the greatest things that we can do for this generation is pray for their salvation. Pray that they would come to see the Lord Jesus indeed as the Savior of the world. Because Jesus himself said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no not one man comes to the Father but through me. Well, should our love be on display? Absolutely. It can be as we're abiding in the Lord. We should be living sermons to people that we come in contact with. There was a famous British pastor named Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. And he had five sons, all of whom became ministers of the gospel. And one day a visitor in their home dared to ask the personal question, which of you six is the best preacher? And their united answer was mother. Mother, of course, Miss Campbell Morgan had never preached a formal sermon in church. But her life was a constant sermon on the love of God. And G. Campbell Morgan went on to write, The life of a Christian who abides in God's love is a potent witness for God in the world. Men cannot see God, but they can see his love moving us to deeds of helpfulness and kindness. Well, when you come to this text, I hope you see the Trinity there. I hope you see the work of God. And that's what John wanted his readers uh, to see. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and being able to look at it this morning and being able to see the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We thank you that the example of love is there. We thank you that the gift of love, the Holy Spirit, resides in all of us who know the Lord and that this command to love one another is, um, there shouldn't be pressure on us to do that. We should be thinking in terms of abiding in you and allowing your love to flow through us as your spirit works. So I just pray that you would help us to understand that. And then last of all, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be thankful for the son that was sent to us sent to die on the cross at Calvary so that indeed eternal life might be possible. I pray that we would have a fresh perspective this morning on how love is to look as it's represented in the Godhead. And all these things I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I had a... uh...
song that I was going to close out with. I was going to introduce you to a, a new song. And it's based on Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And, um, Bain, if you throw that second, that second verse, the second verse up there. Um, and this is kind of what it is because it's, it's somewhat of a chorus through the song, through the psalm. And it says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and God. And I think the psalmist here is one who's living the life that all of us live. There are times when we wake up in the morning and we just have the blues. Sometimes, sometimes we wake up in the morning and things are not exactly the way that we would like them to be because that's life and that's the way it is and we all experience that. But the thing the psalmist that says, and he starts off if you throw the other one up there, Van, is one that you're very familiar with because we're familiar with the song. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where or when can I go and stand before him? The, the psalmist says that I long for him, I thirst for him, I hunger for God and his word. And isn't that where God would have us to be? Even in the midst of the times when we have our blues, <laughs> when things are not quite right, and it could be anything. But anyway, so I was not able to do that song that I was going to do because <clears throat> I was not able to sing it tonight, today. Um, <clears throat> physically, I was not able to sing it. <clears throat> but this one we can, and I think we know it. And uh, I'd like for us to sing this together as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. You alone are the real 
Let's do that chorus one more time. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. And I long, and I long. And I long to worship thee. On. So, we finished this morning with um, the last point there of application. I wanted to tell you a a little story and then we'll close uh, together. I saved it for the end because I have a just a confession to make that um, I have a difficult time being difficult time sharing. I guess that's the, the way to put it. I'm moved to share, but I have a difficult time doing it. Um, Lord has to take a club and knock me over the head a lot of times. But I put here for you understanding why He came should move us should move us to continually confess him. One of the things I really appreciated about Southeastern was that we would have speakers from time to time that would come as missionaries. And I remember the one that made the difference for me. I don't remember his name. I wish I did. I didn't. But I thought the guy was kind of crazy. He didn't look to be over 30, 35 years of age. I remember that. And he um, came and he spoke in chapel and he was a missionary in New York City. And I remember how excited he was to talk about that. And I remember sitting in that chapel thinking, you know, we've had so many missionaries come through this place. How many have I not even paid attention to? I must confess, quite a few. But for some reason, that guy had a sense of urgency about him to confess Christ that was just capturing to me. And I remember sitting there when he was, I remember this vividly, sitting there after chapel when he was finished, just sitting there. Man, Lord, I want that. I want to have that. So if you're in the Lord today, you have the answer. And that's the Lord Jesus. Don't let us not be afraid to give the answer, all right? I want to make mention um, before we leave this morning about our New to Grace. We will have a New to Grace class uh, next Sunday immediately following um, the service. So I know some have already signed up for that. If you have not and you're interested in knowing more about the church, we'd love to eat lunch with you. Lunch will be provided and then we'll talk to you about what we do here at Grace. I want to publicly thank before we leave. Uh, those who were involved last week in making Easter service, uh, all the things that went on with that go well. I just really, really appreciate uh, those folks who were a part of that. And um, I trust you benefited from that, even the 630 uh, service, all right? Why don't we stand and we'll close in a word of prayer.
Father, it's good to be reminded of your love for us. It's good to be just reminded of all the things that you do for us. I pray that as we think and dwell upon and chew upon these things as it relates to your love, that would only increase our desire to want to share that love with others. Help us to demonstrate that we belong to you as we love one another. And it's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.